1: this, this is Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Here we go, middle of the week, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Wednesday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy. glad to have you along. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at MSLandBank.com. If you're in North Mississippi and you're thinking about land, well, Mississippi Land Bank is where to go for your land financing or refinancing needs. Buying a piece of property, buying equipment for the property, making upgrades to the land, or maybe it's building a dream home. Whatever it is that you need, Mississippi Land Bank can help great people doing uh, really good work. MSLandBank.com. Where they know the lay of the land. There is a pressing question out of the gate, and it's something that I saw and thought, oh, that's interesting. And then Rippey brought it to my attention when he came in as well this afternoon. Brian, hey, Dad, what is the accuracy of the iPhone stopwatch when timing 40s by hand?
3: Borky, are we there? Uh, yeah, we should be. That's a he problem, not a you problem today.
2: Oh, well, that's good to know. I'm not sure what's going on with that. So, uh, Brian Haydad, was that... We got it now? Haydad, you there? Okay, this is great. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll get that figured out in a second. To go. So, Brian Haydad was in Starkville today for Mississippi State's Pro Day. Uh, Rippy got up early after getting in late last night from uh, AutoZone Park, where... Uh, hundreds of people showed up to watch Ole Miss and Memphis play baseball. At least initially, it was hundreds. It was tens of people by the end of the ball game. Ole Miss got a win there. Mississippi State was in a tight game for a while with Mississippi Valley State last night until they opened up a can of offense late in the ball game. We, uh, we're going to peek. We got a bunch to get to this afternoon. John Gasaway from ESPN.com is going to join us. We'll talk Sweet 16 with him. Uh, we're going to talk with Trey Schapp from the Buzz and Little Rock about the Arkansas situation. We'll talk some draft stuff with John Harris from the Houston Texans. So a lot to get to this afternoon. Let's try this one more time. Hey dad. Yes. What was the, well, what, what is your level of confidence? In the accuracy of hand timing 40s with an iPhone stopwatch, it's
0: uh, it's it's not great. I was close on some when I saw the official times. I was
2: not close on others. When you say not close, off by of a hundredth of a second, a tenth, oh, two or three tenths. Okay, which is, I guess, in the scheme of NFL terms, a million dollars. It could <laughs> be, yeah,
0: yeah. If if I had been in charge, that you know, some people would have lost money today for sure.
2: So you so people were might have made you, money. I don't know. Uh, I was going to say which, which way was it that you were missing? Fast or slow?
0: I, I missed most of them I was slow. I missed one fast.
2: Gotcha. Was was there a time on your watch where they ran it and you saw it and your eyes like bulged out of your head. I was like, "Oh my gosh, he just ran a 38."
0: <laughs> I never, not, not, everything I, I had scored was uh, was relatively respectable. It could have it could have been sold as a true 40 time. So the only one that that was really surprising to me, uh, I had Jamal Peters in one run go four three nine, and I was like, "But if that's correct, he's going to jump into the first round." And uh, but it, that was not correct. He, I think he ran a four five or something like that when it was all over with. Hmm.
2: Yeah, that's uh, there's a big difference in those two. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have like Nick Fitzgerald running a five seven or anything like well, that. The... Well, yeah, Nick didn't run today. I know he but, yeah. didn't run. I, yeah, yeah. I know. I didn't have I didn't
0: have one where I was just like that. That can't possibly be right because it, it's so so bad. No, there was somebody I, was, I thought it was just that's too good to be true.
2: All right, so how'd it go today, pro day? General thoughts.
0: Uh it was a little more low key than I thought it was going to be a couple of months ago when when I thought it was going to be the Jeff Simmons showcase. And Simmons was there. He uh, he did the bench press today. He did twenty eight reps uh, at two twenty five, which you know for a guy who's. Probably focus more on rehab than than, than anything else. I, I thought that was pr- particularly impressive. And obviously, he, he told us afterwards that he's got a lot of meetings coming up. Uh, I was also surprised to see Montez Sweat do any drills at all. To be t- I really thought he might just stand pat on what he had done at the combine, not risk anything whatsoever. But he didn't. He did. Obviously, he didn't do uh, the the 40. I don't think he did any of like the cone or the shuttle or anything like that. But he got out there in the position drills and competed. And he said he said afterwards, that's just what I want to do. You know, I'm I'm not a guy to give up reps. So you know, obviously he was the guy everybody was focused on, and then of course to see Nick Fitzgerald, you know, in in a three-point stance, blocking, catching passes was was very interesting. I had not seen that before, obviously, and I thought, you know, just from me, me and my untrained amateur eye, thought he did pretty well. He didn't drop any passes in in the route running drills, uh, in the agility drills. I thought he held his own, and uh, you know he looked comfortable getting down in a, in a stance and and blocking. So hopefully he did himself some favors today.
2: Well, so the, the blocking part of it aside, when he was running routes, how, how did he look, and again, untrained eye, obviously yeah. you're just watching. It's a, a pro day setup. It's not somebody in pads, but did he look smooth, agile in running routes, comfortable in running routes?
0: I thought so. I thought he looked very fluid, I guess would be the word that they would use. Uh, you know, He wasn't having trouble getting in and out of any breaks. Uh, they, they ran him on some deep routes, and he was able to run the ball down um he i mean he 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 didn't look out of place i'll put it that way if you had just put him in the drills with the wide receivers and and you didn't know he was a quarterback you i don't think you would have he would have stood out to you in a bad way
2: what about throwing the football because obviously that was part of it as well because as he told us yesterday he first wants to be a quarterback
0: yeah watched him do some of that with standing next to joe moorhead actually and I thought for the most part, he threw the ball pretty well. His his biggest problem is what it's always been, is that he, he has a fastball. He doesn't really have anything else. Uh, it doesn't matter how short the throw is. He, he's bringing it in pretty quickly. Um, for the most part, though, I thought he, he looked comfortable back there throwing the football. He was relatively accurate. You know, He had a couple of misses here and there. Uh, but by and large, I thought he, you know, he looked very similar to what you saw plays. on the field last year.
2: Say again. I lost you for a second, hey, Dad.
0: I thought I said by and large, he just looked like the same quarterback I've seen for the last, you know, three years on the
2: field. Which is to say, not an NFL quarterback,
0: right? In my opinion, I, I, I don't see him as a full-time NFL quarterback. No,
2: um, John Harris, this afternoon, I look forward to um, asking him about Nick Fitzgerald, and that's kind of getting into that a little bit more um, because of the. You know, the role that Taysom Hill has played with the Saints and the fact that, you know, body types are not terribly difficult. So we'll see. Jason uh, sends us a message on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. And I think he mentioned this yesterday. We just didn't get to it. He said, I want to see how Nick Fitzgerald uh, works at H-back or in the slot. Never mind just tied in. How did he look in that type of exercise? Did you see anything today um, that allowed you to have that kind of an observation
0: not really i mean they had him you know in a stance they had him you know coming out of a wide receivers break putting him in motion so i guess you know they didn't just have him lined up with his his hand down on the ground every play they 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 brought him off the line of scrimmage brought him in motion so yeah i mean they gave him the full complement of looks at, at all receiving positions i guess you could say
2: uh, Sports Talk Mississippi, you can text the show on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. This is an interesting time in the SEC because basketball has reestablished itself as a sport that matters in the Southeastern Conference. You're only a few years removed from having three teams in the NCAA tournament. Last year there were eight, this year there are seven, and there are four teams from the SEC that are playing this weekend in the Sweet Sixteen. And offseason news is dominating. And you've had a couple of either moderately successful or very successful coaches who have lost their jobs in the last week. Mike Anderson announced yesterday, no longer the head coach at Arkansas. Kelvin Sampson, by most accounts, is the leading candidate. Avery Johnson, some success at Alabama. Maybe not what anybody thought. They went eight and 10 in the league this year. He was fired after their loss in the first round of the NIT. You wondered how long the Alabama coaching search would go on? The answer is not very long. Cecil Hurt with the Tuscaloosa News tweeting just moments ago, breaking news, the University of Alabama will hire Nate Oates of Buffalo as its next basketball coach. More information to come. On the surface, given the results of Buffalo this year, what they had, who they are, that's another pretty good hire by an SEC program. Anybody have thoughts on that? It's That's awful quick, isn't it?
0: That reminds me of when Ben Howland was hired. You know, Rick Ray was fired on a Saturday afternoon. Within a few hours, Howland's name was already leaked to the job, and it seemed like it was done by the weekend. And and from what I know of Greg Byrne, you know, obviously a guy who does I know does his homework and, and works in the shadows, as we have said, uh, man, it, it makes you feel like he might have had a pretty good idea that he was going to get a yes out of Nate Oates if, if he asked him.
4: Oates did a good job at Buffalo, but it'll be interesting to see if he has to rebuild at at Alabama because he inherited a really good situation, assisted on Hurley's staff. They go to the tournament, I believe, in his first year as head coach. He kind of inherited a pretty good situation. So if they have some roster turnover turnover, it will be interesting to see how he kind of builds from the ground up.
2: So, so to your point, he was on Bobby Hurley's staff at Buffalo. Bobby Hurley got the Arizona State job. Oates was promoted to the head coaching job. It's his only head coaching job. Four seasons at Buffalo. 2016, first round of the NCAA tournament. Missed the tournament the following year. In each of the last two seasons, he has gotten to the second round. They went 27-9 a year ago. 32-4 and this season at Buffalo. Buffalo and so Nate Oates reportedly is going to be the next head basketball coach at the University of Alabama. We'll talk about that and other things with John Gasaway as we look to the NCAA tournament, the Sweet 16, and the Elite Eight coming up this weekend. More with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Yeah. Back with you Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. And right now on the Farm Bureau phone line from ESPN.com, guy that covers college hoops, John Gassaway. You can follow him on Twitter at John Gassaway, G-A-S-A-W-A-Y. John, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, right before we kind of got started with the postseason. Glad to have you back again for, uh, What should be a really fun Sweet 16?
5: Well, it has the potential to be an incredible Sweet 16 and an even better better Final Four. Uh, We got that at the expense of kind of a sleepy, definitely a sleepy round of 64. And uh, with the exception of UCF-Duke and a couple other games, uh, not too much happening in the round of 32. I think when we look back, we'll be willing to make that trade if... uh, Everything just really starts to get going from here, and I got to tell you, on paper, there's a lot of great games coming up. So I'm I'm definitely keeping an open mind, and more than that, I'm I'm excited for a great Sweet 16.
2: Yeah, John, the the teams that make these these Sweet 16 and potential Elite Eight matchups are, are kind of blue bloods. Am I wrong? Is this a bad take? and that I've always said I love Sweet 16 in the round, or uh, excuse me, I love Cinderella. In the round of 64, and it's okay if it happens in the round of 32, but by the time we get to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, I want to see Blue Bloods because I feel like that's the best brand of basketball.
5: Uh, I'm I'm right there with you, so if it's a bad take, we're we're in this together. Fair uh, enough. It was was dull (laughs) in the round of 64, and part of the reason why was there there weren't a lot of upsets. So, uh, you know, you you get those ordinarily uh, when you play this much win-or-go-home basketball. It was unusual that we didn't get any of it, but, you know, sometimes we have the opposite problem where there's so many upsets that, you know, there's just nobody left standing, and you're kind of not so excited about the teams that are left. Uh, we certainly don't have a problem in 2019, and there uh, should be some great games coming up. I,
2: I want us to save a little bit of time, if we can, to talk a little bit about the coaching openings in the SEC, one of which seems to have just been filled moments ago at uh, at Alabama with Nate Oates from Buffalo. But before we do that, let, let's quickly look at, at some of these Sweet 16 matchups. It, it, let's start with the Thursday matchups. Florida State, Gonzaga, Purdue, Tennessee, Texas Tech, Michigan, Oregon Virginia is there one of those four that jumps out at you as that is the game that if I could only watch one I have to watch that game
5: <laughs> no well that's a that's a tough one I mean I I I am fascinated by Virginia trying to get over the hump uh that is one I'm definitely looking at against an Oregon team uh, forget the number uh Next to their name. Uh, Coaches are right. You know, that's the one piece of coach speak that's actually correct. Uh, Oregon is not playing like a 12 seed. They've got one of the best defenses in the country in the present tense. So, I mean, that definitely fascinates me. Uh, Of course, Gonzaga last year uh, played Florida State in the same game in the Sweet 16 and looked perfectly awful. They've spent a year telling us, yeah, well, Killian Tilly wasn't in the game. Well, uh, he's here now, and he can't even start. I mean, that's how, <laughs> that's how good Gonzaga is. So, uh, a lot of a lot of good plot lines, a lot of drama, uh, just just on the first day of the Sweet 16, much less all weekend long.
2: Is, is Texas Tech Michigan going to be a grind fest, or is there going to be is it going to be a fun game to watch?
5: Uh, both. You know, I, 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 think back to some of the great defenses we've seen in, in the NCAA tournament in past years. And when, when you're talking about these guys, uh, it, it's such elite level defense and there's so much on the line that, uh, I do expect it to be a, a low scoring affair, but, uh, it, that can work. And with, you know, there's, there's a bid into the Elite Eight on the line. Jared Culver's a, a great player for Texas Tech. Uh, Xavier Simpson is, is fun to watch with his hook shots. Uh, Braz Dacus is coming along very nicely as a freshman who's no longer a freshman by this year. this point in the year, he's a sophomore. So even though they play great defenses, uh, so do some other teams who are still alive, and there's a lot on the line. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one.
2: Looking at the Friday matchups, LSU-Michigan State, LSU so athletic and, and I think fun to watch, and, and Tremont Waters with the skill set that he's got as the point guard. But I just keep looking at this coaching matchup and go, I mean, you want to talk about a mismatch. Tom Izzo, who's certainly no stranger to making deep runs in March against Tony Benford in this, this interim spot where he's coaching his fourth game, even though he does have some coaching experience, not certainly at this level, how big a deal is the coaching mismatch?
5: Yeah, uh, this is certainly not Tom Izzo's first uh, bite at this apple. Now, it's you know the players have to get on the court at the end of the day, no matter what they've been told, and they have to play the game. So I don't want to overstate that. And, in fact, with LSU, I, I guess I could argue both sides of the coin. I mean, on the one side – Waters uh has been has been great as far as a point guard and, and defender in two games in the NCAA tournament. One thing he hasn't done is made his threes. He's he's one of nine in the tournament. So if that turned around, I could see that being a problem for the Spartans. On the other hand, uh part of me says, Let's not overthink this. Uh LSU barely got by Maryland, uh probably was lucky to to win that game. And uh coming from out of the same conference, Michigan State is a big step up in class from the Terrapins. So uh LSU is definitely going to have to bring it in this game. C-
2: complete track meet when Auburn and North Carolina get together.
5: Yes, and I can't wait.
2: <laughs> it's going to be so <laughs> much fun.
5: That is going to be so much fun and you know part of me thinks if you're Bruce Pearl looking at the at the pairings really I think almost literally any other team in the 316 uh you know you could think we can we can go Kansas on these guys. Yeah, but if you're picking one opponent where Auburn is, you know, doing what they always do and saying, okay, we're going to go as fast as we can, look out. The one opponent who's like, whatever, uh, no problem, is North Carolina. They actually go even faster than than Auburn. What's what's not to love about that? I mean, Kobe White uh, just keeps g- getting better with each passing game. I hesitate to compare anybody to Ty Lawson, but I mean, it, it's been a while since we've mm-hmm. seen a point guard push the pace for the heels in this way, and I can't, wait for that to tip off. It's just going to be a fantastic uh, spectacle of basketball.
2: John Gassaway on your radio from ESPN.com covers college basketball, also an adjunct uh, professor, lecturer on basketball analytics. Um, th- these coach openings, the, the price of poker has gone up in the SEC, and there's been a bigger commitment, and we've seen it in number of teams into the tournament, and this year number of teams advancing to the Sweet 16 from the SEC. Nate Oates to Alabama, Arkansas is open. Lots of people are talking about Kelvin Sampson. What do these moves mean? What's your take on four and probably five openings when we get to LSU as well?
5: Yeah, I mean, if the SEC can can add Kelvin Sampson, uh, that, is, that is a steal and a half. Uh, I'm not sure how much people have been watching Houston. Uh, I get the feeling just in doing some of these interviews that they are not mentioned enough and with the exception of of one literally one game this entire season the american title game uh, where they did not look all that great. But they have not broken the huddle at the under-four timeout in any game this year that they didn't have a chance to win. Uh, and they're equally balanced on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. So Samson has done it at a program that had zero in the way of recent basketball success, going back to the five-slam and jama days. Uh, he would be a huge kid, and I'm not trying to slight Nate Oates by but... Not mentioning him in the same breath, it's just that he's done the same kind of job at also a program that didn't have much in the way of success recently, but he's just been doing it for a much shorter amount of time. So uh, I think that getting Sampson would be huge, and price of poker going up is a great way of putting it because the SEC uh, has has done it on the bottom line in terms of number of bids each of the last two seasons.
2: You know, interesting to me when I look at Houston. I, I did a couple of their games on television this year. Um, the early in the season against St. Louis, and then later in the year the rematch against uh, against Temple. And you said no recent success. The recent success is under Kelvin Sampson, and Houston has made a huge commitment with their new arena and with Tillman Fertitta being involved and interested. You know, however eccentric he is. Could Houston make a strong enough play to potentially keep Kelvin Sampson and, and not have him leave for, for one of these bigger jobs that's now open?
5: Yeah, I don't have an inside uh, pipeline to Kelvin himself, but just speaking programmatically, I would think they could. Because the thing that you have to remember about the American is we're, we're seeing it kind of, um, I don't want to say that it's worse, but uh, at an unusual moment, I, I think uh, Penny Hardaway could well get some traction uh, at Memphis, and of course, he, he's got an amazing recruiting class coming in, including the number one player in the country. So, uh, that's yet, that's a shoe that's yet to drop. Uh, UConn, you would expect that Hurley could, you know, get that moving in the right direction. And, of course, Wichita State has had its, its worst year in, in a decade. So you take all those things together, and uh, the American you know, is is a definite buy on, on the stock market of, of conferences. So you would think that they could put together a, a pretty uh, attractive uh, offer, but, again, I, I've got no inside scoop on, on Samsung itself.
2: John, really appreciate your time this afternoon. It's going to be a fun weekend. Thanks for joining us.
5: Thanks for having me.
2: That's John Gasaway from ESPN.com. Covers college basketball. Some interesting stuff there as we look ahead to the Sweet 16, which gets started tomorrow. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on this Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Got the whole crew today. Cross, Borky, Hey Dad, Rippy. Big weekend coming up. Uh, Mississippi State hosting LSU beginning tomorrow night in a weekend series of baseball. ESPNU tomorrow night, SEC Network on Friday night. Um, Ole Miss and Arkansas meeting in Fayetteville. Ole Miss will play on ESPNU on Friday night. A late start, an eight o'clock central time start for that ball game. And, um, then you've got, uh, Rebels and the Hogs meeting on Saturday afternoon. That game is uh, on television as well. You had baseball action last night, Mississippi State 18 to 5 over Mississippi Valley. Hey, Dad, am I right? I was trying to follow scores along throughout the ballgame, and the the entire, the, the final score doesn't really tell the story of the game and how close this was for the majority of the night, right?
0: Yeah, through five innings, it was a, a tie ball game at 5-5. Valley jumped out to a 3 nothing lead without benefit of a hit. Uh, Eric Sarantola, who, you know, you remember I was hyping him up after his first couple of appearances. He has he not looked good two weeks in a row. He gave up four runs in his start last week against Arkansas Little Rock and then three runs uh, to Valley on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, had a walk, three hit batters in the inning to keep the bases Ooh. loaded. Uh so uh, two two what three games in a row now Mississippi State's midweek pitching has not gotten off to a great start, but as as they did in the previous two games, they settled down uh, after the uh, the fifth uh, pitch no hit baseball after that Valley only had two hits for the game for a game they had five runs only two hits and then like you said uh, State really exploded in the later innings which was sort of the case. Uh, against Arkansas Pine Bluff a few weeks ago, where, where they similar pitching styles, you know, guy not a lot of velocity, you know, sort of just getting it over the plate. State took a couple of trips through the batting order to get everything settled, and then once they did, they were able to have that big inning and put the game completely out of reach.
2: So going into the bottom of the seventh inning, it was seven to five. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State put three runs on uh, three runs on the board in the bottom of the seventh to make it ten to five, and then really stretched it out in the eighth inning uh for an 18 to 5 win as far as multi-hit games for Mississippi State Jake Mangum had two hits, Jordan Westberg had three hits and drove in four runs, two for Justin Vosku, a four-hit night for Rowdy Jordan. He was 4 for 5 with two runs batted in and just yeah, the the story of Jordan, uh, Rowdy Jordan over the last couple of weeks, it really can't be overstated how people were clamoring, oh, he probably shouldn't be in the lineup. uh coach talked to us earlier this week about the fact that, uh, what he had an assistant coach saying, look, this is one of our best hitters. we got to stick with him. They've stuck with him and he's kind of caught lightning in a bottle.
0: Yeah. Uh, going back to last week and, uh, after the Arkansas Little Rock game, I asked Jake Mangum about that and he was just adamant that like Rowdy's one of our best hitters. He's going to come out of it. It's going to happen. I don't know that he knew it was going to be, you know, the next day because it was that Samford game where he got a couple hits and, and started putting things together. Um, and man, his emergence—I mean, this MSU lineup right now—it's really tough to find a weak spot in it. Everybody's hitting over 300 except for Jordan at this point, point. Um, and it, you know his, he's the hottest hitter on the team. Dustin Skelton, a guy who hasn't done much at the plate, he's hitting 320 with with five home runs. Uh, he was two for two last night. He came into the game in the later innings to to finish it off. Uh, we mentioned Westberg, who's the SEC Offensive Player of the Week. The week before that, it was McNamee. I mean, outside of Tyler Tanner Allen, I'm sorry, who's hitting around 270. That's the lowest batting average in the starting lineup. Once you get past Roddy Jordan, who I think will be, you know, around 300 in a couple of weeks if he continues to hit like this. So, when we would talk about him as he's pitching in the first few weeks of the season. Now the hitting has sort of taken over and become the story.
2: Jared Liebelt got the win in the ball game, 18 to five, the final. Mississippi State is now 23 and three on the year, and will host LSU starting at six o'clock tomorrow night at uh, at Duty Noble. Um, to the north of Oxford, I guess to the northwest of Starkville. Ole Miss on the road last night against Memphis. And, uh, Rippy, we, we texted some during the game. Uh, one, it wasn't necessarily a work of art. And two, it took forever.
4: Nice little four hour baseball game. Yeah, very midweekish. On the, we were eclipsing two hours in the second inning. Not a whole lot going on. Each team scored four runs in the second inning. Um, yeah, from a pitching wise, they didn't get much out of Jordan Fowler, which is becoming kind of, I mean, it's a thing at this point. And so they're going to have to figure out something because they've already lost five midweek games. And if you get beyond that twenty and six threshold in the midweek, you start kind of, you know, threatening to hurt your RPI in terms of some hosting chances. So they're going to have to figure out something there. Um, he just le- like his like he has moments where his fastball and, and his secondary stuff behind it are good, and he's got like pretty good swing and miss stuff, but his mistakes are so egregious that it's just costing them terribly. But um, the offense came to life. Chase Cockrell had three hits, had a really nice at bat in the ninth where he hit a double down the left field line on a change up. gave them two insurance runs. Um, you know, small sample size, but it's not nothing. He looked more comfortable. He had a couple off speed pitches. Um, the first double he had was, I believe, on a fastball, and it like that would have left the yard in most college parks. Like he hit it a ton. Second one was really important. He looked more comfortable in the box, with squaring more balls up. Dillard had two hits for the second game in a row. So, rounding out some some guys are kind of getting going in a lineup that that's had some inconsistencies and some holes in it. And then in a game where he didn't get a ton of length, they did get five and a third scoreless innings from Taylor Broadway and Tyler Myers, who. Myers is now over his last three outings, six innings of two hit ball and a shutout, and no runs allowed, and hasn't pitched since March 16th before last night.
2: So, some new faces show up. Ole Miss uses a total of six pitchers in the game. Parker Caracy came on at the end and got his fifth save of the season. Did give up a couple of hits. So, Memphis got the tying run to the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning, trailing nine to six, but uh, Caracy was able to, uh, to get out of it. Finished the game with a strikeout. Is that right? Or I, there, there was just a strikeout that was mixed in there in the ninth?
4: I was walking down that uh, elevator during the last out. I know it ended.
2: Yeah. Uh, there was a, a pop-out in foul territory and a strikeout and then maybe a fly ball to, uh, to end the game as well. So Ole Miss gets the win, and the Rebels will carry, I, I don't know, I guess a little bit of momentum into a series on the road with Arkansas this weekend. Ole Miss 18-8 overall after the uh, the win last night, and an important weekend coming up. Sitting at 3-3 three and three in the SEC, Arkansas has played well in conference play. They're on top of the Western Division standings, what with just one loss in, in league play off to a 5-1 and one start. It, you, you feel like you have to, under whatever circumstance, avoid getting swept. If Ole Miss could go on the road and somehow find a way to win the series, then you feel a whole lot better about yourself moving forward.
4: Yeah, they can't get swept, they have to get one, and like they would do well not to squander another outing, because what's been lost in a lot of the moving parts of this team is Will Etheridge has been as good as advertised as far as a Friday night guy, like you talk about a guy mostly relief his first couple years, kind of had the whole offseason to kind of craft his pitches and and work on some stuff and and get ready for this role, and he's been very good, and Ole Miss has taken advantage of it for the most part, but then kind of let it go last week, so... Yeah, they definitely need one and two would rectify a lot of things for them. That would kind of get them back on track.
2: In in two starts for Will Etheridge and SEC play, Ole Miss has scored a combined two runs. A one-nothing win over Alabama and a two-to-one loss to Missouri. You gotta give guy a little bit of help.
4: Yeah, but some of that is just kind of life in the SEC on a Friday night. Like I mean, it comes with the territory. You know you're going to kind of be in some low scoring games with another you know, high profile arm talent on the other side. But you're right. They do need to score more runs for him. And, you know, it, it appears they found a pretty formidable one two punch with Nikazi on the. I mean, Nikhazy's pitched well in every game he started, and it's been against good teams, East Carolina, um, Louisville, and then obviously Missouri. So it, it appears they found something there. I don't know what to make of the Sunday situation yet. I think they'll go to Hoagland once, probably twice more. I'm not sure. At least this. Depending on how he pitches. Yeah, but. At some point, either the midweek or the Sunday has got to go back to Houston Roth. He's getting healthier with that shoulder thing. Stuff looks a lot better. He's been good his last three outings. He's going to have to like, – it, it kind of all goes back to him, whether it's the midweek or Sunday, but he's, he's going to kind of come on in one of those roles, I would imagine.
2: Hey, Dad, the whole life in the SEC for a Friday night pitcher thing, it, it, it's a real thing, right? Because, I mean, you look at Ethan Small, and he's got a couple of wins on the year, but considering how well he's pitched – you really could look up and see him sitting at 5 and 0 right now. It's just hard in that first game, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because you're facing another guy who's just probably as good as you in a lot of cases and you know, in Friday for me, Friday nights, you need to be up, prepared to win games 3 to 2, 4 to 3. And then we need to Sunday. I don't know if you prepare for 20 to 15. But you should prepare to maybe have to score seven, eight runs to win, just because the the caliber of pitcher goes down. So yeah, for both small and for Etheridge, man, it, it's 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 a struggle because they're facing other aces, uh, and it's just going to be you know who can get the most out of their their batting order uh, to see who gets wins.
2: Southern Miss wins again last night. They went on the road and got the victory. Uh, over Nichols State 5 to nothing. so a shutout win last night for Southern Miss Jared Wright got the start went four innings did not allow a run struck out four Sean Tweedy got the win out of the bullpen to go to 3-0 and zero. Aaron Ginn pitched Cody Carroll pitched and J.C. Keys worked the last two innings of the ball game and uh, we talked with uh, Scott Berry on Monday and he liked the way his team was starting to kind of come around especially at the plate last night Southern Miss, five runs, seven hits, did not commit an error in the ballgame. They're undefeated in Conference USA play and have won now eight in a row overall. So uh, Southern Miss now up to 16-6 on the year, seemingly getting a little bit better really each time out. So wins for Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Southern Miss last night in midweek action. Yesterday, board... Wednesday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippy. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at MSLandBank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs or refinancing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Whether you're buying a piece of property that, that that's farmland, buying a piece of property to hunt on, buying a piece of property to put your dream house or a shop on, or maybe you're refinancing an existing loan or need a production loan. Mississippi Land Bank, they do all of that. They've been financing land for over 100 years. They've got offices all over North Mississippi. You can find a phone number, uh, contact information, a branch location, all at the website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Guys, I feel like it has snuck up on me a little bit, but now that it's here, I'm really excited. Opening day of Major League Baseball is tomorrow. Borky, you don't really
3: have a big league team, right? No, I don't, and I want one because I've made okay. it for Lent. Right? I'm going to take on baseball. That's that's what I'm going to do this year. Is I've promised myself. Are you going to give it up at Easter? Depends on how my newly selected team that's, does, I That's guess. your sacrifice? That's your Linton sacrifice, is watching baseball? Well, but seriously, though, I've, I've made it a point that I'm going to watch baseball this year, so I guess I need somebody to follow. Hold on, but Lint's not
2: just about sacrifice. Sometimes it can be like a commitment to do good, right? Yeah, and watching baseball's good for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, Dad, you're not you're not fully on board with this line of uh, of conversation, are you? I feel like I feel like that commercial. Is like, That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works.
3: Yeah. to give something up. I guess I should do the Braves because I mean we've got a, a Braves team basically in my backyard, and I mean they're close enough to where I grew up, and they're the closest team to us. But now that they're getting better, I don't want people to think I'm jumping on a bandwagon.
4: Go Reds or Padres. They're teams that probably aren't going to continue yet, but will in the next like two to three years. And we'll, one will push for 500 this year, one probably slightly below. It's kind of like the perfect time to jump on a bandwagon.
3: But how often will I be able to watch the Padres? Yeah, I kind of lucked into New Orleans fandom. The Saints were bad when I moved here, and the Pelicans have always been bad. And so nobody's accusing me of a bandwagon, and I can watch them every time they're on TV.
0: Well, you can watch them whenever MLB you want. TV, you an MLB an MLB.TV uh, subscription.
2: That or costs, Reddit? That costs money.
3: See, Reddit's the route that I'll have to take.
2: Hey, look, we're talking about sacrifice, and it's not like you're really going out on a limb. Maybe you need to sacrifice a little bit bit in the pocketbook to, Just uh, to follow a little through to with Major
3: League Baseball. I guess um, I could write it off on my taxes. Technically, maybe that's the route I'll take. Yeah, you could. You you, you certainly
2: could. Here's the. So I get what you're saying about being able to watch the games and. I'm finding it just a a bit of frustration is not the right word. It's just not easy for us to go to New York to watch the Yankees play.
4: Good thing they're on ESPN three times a week.
2: Well, no, I'm not saying that I can't watch it, but if I want to take the kids to a baseball game, then, you know, at best, every two or three years, we're going to be able to catch the Yankees. And... Because I'm a Yankees fan, my kids are interested in them as well, but I do have just a little bit of guilt about the fact that, okay, there is a team to the west of us that's five hours away in St. Louis. There's a team to the east of us that's five hours away in Atlanta. So there are closer options, but specifically with the Braves, if I said, you know what, I'm going to have a change of allegiance, which would be okay, because I kind of grew up cheering for the Braves and watching the Braves. But it feels like it's not the right time to change allegiances because the Braves are pretty good and it would be like you're jumping on a bandwagon. And the other part of it is, as a Yankees fan, I kind of was late to the party on the Yankees. It was like, you know, early 2000s when I started closely following the Yankees. And it's not been the best run in Yankees history to be a Yankees fan. And this is a good, young, fun really good baseball team so why would you want to jump off of of, am am i making any sense
4: and as a yankees fan you have to struggle with the big markets and payroll it's hard to compete with them do what no i mean as a yankees (laughs) fan just it's hard to compete with the other markets and payroll shut up rippy
0: you know you pick your little plucky underdog team there and, you know, you just got to stick with them. They're going to grind it out, and it's going to be okay. Oh, that's
2: right, because the San Francisco Giants are such a small-market, low-payroll <laughs> hey, team. I'm
0: not the one considering a change. Hey, hey. My team's going to be terrible.
2: I'm not considering a change. You missed the point. I was saying that for the sake of my kids being actually to go, being actually able to, on a semi-regular basis, go and watch the team that is their team would be kind of cool for them. We went to a Braves game two years ago, and they had a blast, and maybe we just do that. Maybe we just say, okay, we're just soaking up Major League Baseball, but we'll
4: be fans of Interesting the Yankees story, then. and move on. on how, how
3: good on is Milwaukee flight, supposed to be? On my flight to
0: San
4: uh, Jose. Favorite to win the division.
3: Yeah, Milwaukee's. Yeah, they're good. Oh, well, I can't jump on that bandwagon, so that's out.
0: On my flight to San. Look, Jose. if you
2: hold
3: on a second, hold on a second. I, I, I want to. I want hey
2: Dad's story about his flight to San Jose. But Borky, if you decide that you want to jump on the Milwaukee Brewers bandwagon, nobody's going to question you, man. Because who else goes? Man, I'm a Milwaukee Brewers fan <laughs>
4: that doesn't live in Milwaukee. You know who's a huge Brewers fan? Who? Jonathan Randolph of all people, the former Ole Miss golfer. Yeah. I'll I'll might do know. that. Okay, and, and I have a glad to file that away
3: because we have their affiliate on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, so there can be my reason. You know who's a big
2: the Reds Shuckers. fan? Neil Price.
0: Uh, I, I think he is, but Scott Strickland is a big Reds fan. Is he? Yeah.
3: Well, he needs to tell his football coach to find a tailor or buy some pants that fit.
0: <laughs> Let's not go into that. Good lord. <laughs> Maybe instead of me, you should All take right, care so- of Dan Mullen, Richard.
2: Uh, so, hey, Dad, on your flight to San Jose, dot, San dot, San Jose. Dot,
0: I, I met a guy who, and I was wearing my Giants hat, and he's like, Oh, you're a Giants fan. I'm a Giants fan. And But he lives in L.A. now. And he told a sort of similar story. He's like, Look, when how often do we get to San Francisco? So I sort of let my kids grow up to be Dodger fans, which is, you know, sacrilege to me. I can't imagine. But he said when they got to be about 10 or 12, they were like, Dad, why are we Dodger fans and you're a Giants fan? And he's like, well, I just did it because we live down here and I thought you might want to support the local team. He's like, no, no, we want to be a Giants fan. So now the kids are Giants fans. So that's what you should do. You you know, you you offer up the Braves and you see if your children have the loyalty to come back to you and the Yankees.
2: Mm, What if I don't like the potential outcomes?
0: Well, then I guess you're you're just going to be out of luck on that one.
2: We'll just go watch the Yankees play once every three years. (laughs) Maybe maybe get them in an interleague play in uh, a somewhat more close locale somewhere along the way. I guess. Yeah. Uh, Are you guys excited about the start of the, the Major League season? Rippy, I know you are.
4: A lot. We'll have a good preview show on the podcast tomorrow. Tell us a little more about that. We'll have... Reds. Dot, I mean, MLB.com beat reporter Mark Sheldon covers the Reds and Chandler Rome, who covers the Astros for the Houston Chronicle. So, All right. right. Lots of good stuff. Chandler Rome, like
0: him.
3: Yeah, I'm excited uh, since I've been a lifelong Brewers fan. I'm, I'm excited about this season since we're picked to, <laughs> to win the division. <laughs> Just in case you're
2: excited. interested, yeah, I know you're not. What did your team do to get better this offseason?
0: They Hate did that. nothing. Nothing, is what they did.
2: They got a new stadium name, right? They renamed the stadium,
0: yeah. And you know, maybe you know, you know, the Oracle Arena is where the Warriors play. Now it's Oracle Park for San Francisco. Maybe that'll maybe that'll be the the, the winning edge. You know, see if if Kevin maybe Durant if, can can hit the curveball.
2: I was gonna say if Steph is gonna play shortstop for you, maybe you got a shot. <laughs> yeah. Opening day games, noon central, Orioles at Yankees, 1205, Mets at Nationals, Cardinals at Brewers a little after one, Braves at Phillies at 205, Tigers and Blue Jays, Diamondbacks, Dodgers, Ast- By the way, is there anything that is more beautiful than watching opening day at Dodger Stadium? My, my whole, well, uh, okay, fair enough. But my whole college baseball off season of opening day is seventy three and sunny at Dodger Stadium. Opening day is always seventy three and sunny. That that that's scientifically proven fact. A um, little bit of a contrast to the beauty of Dodger Stadium. The Astros will open the season at the Trop against the Tampa Bay Rays. Also, one of the iconic settings in Major League Baseball Cubs at the Rangers Rangers playing there last year In this ballpark Angels and A's Giants and Padres At 310 Indians, Twins Rockies, Marlins Pirates, Reds White Sox, Royals And then on ESPN At 6 o'clock tomorrow night The Red Sox at the Mariners That is a boatload Of daytime baseball For opening day Sign me up More coming up with you Renaissance Bank Studio Renaissance Bank Understanding you
0: my,
2: my, my, my. You know, Borky, something that we've done in the past, and uh, we probably should have had queued up for today, but tomorrow we'll do just fine since it's opening day. We need to, um, we need to dial up some of those uh, old baseball
3: announcer clips. Those are always a lot of fun. Remind me tonight, and I will put a bunch together for you.
2: That'll be a lot of fun. We'll, we'll do that tomorrow as a, a little tribute to Major League Baseball's opening day, bring you some some Dizzy Dean and some go uh, some Joe Garagiola. And, um, we'll, we'll go into the vault and see what all we can find, see what all we can drum up for some uh, old baseball stuff. Do a little, little memory lane, a little baseball nostalgia as we roll into a, uh, a new Major League Baseball season. Opening day tomorrow, and no, we're not counting the two games that were played in Tokyo uh, last week. We're just not going to, yes, two actual games have been played in Major League Baseball, but as I told you yesterday, until I see the red, white, and blue bunting and hear all the teams and all their starting lineups called out, then uh, I'm not on board yet. That, that's opening day for, uh, for me. Um, hey, Dad, we talked a little bit in the open uh, let's circle back to Pro Day today from uh, from Mississippi State. It, you said that maybe there wasn't as much juice, as much energy as you thought there would be a couple of months ago when, when you thought people would be kind of there drooling over Jeffrey Simmons and talking to him and watching all the other things. But still a bunch of guys from Mississippi State that are going to be drafted. Do you think there's anybody that helped anything today?
0: i think nick fitzgerald did obviously because he was able to show that he can possibly make this position change and that you can put him out there and let him catch passes and he has the athleticism and the ability to do that um jamal peters ran better today uh he ran i think an uh, official was four five five he had run in the in the mid four sixes in uh in indianapolis so he needed to to be better, and he did, and he was. I think Mark McLaurin did the same. I think he shaved a little bit off of his forty time. He was a a four eights, not going to get it done as, as a safety. Um, beyond that, I thought Gary Green looked good today. But I mean, I think his, I think he's sort of where he's going to be in the draft. He's going to be a mid round pick. Uh, you know, I think that he showed the uh, the athleticism though in when, when drills where they were putting him out in coverage. You know, he didn't he didn't have any liabilities there. He was able to pick off a couple of passes that were a little high. So, you know, he played some linebacker at Mississippi State, so that's not too, too surprising. He, he's always been a good athlete. Um, but as far as somebody who just had a, a, right, a huge day and maybe shot up draft boards, the only guy, and I wouldn't say he shot up a draft board because he's definitely going to be a guy who gets a free agent look is Chris Rayford, who... Uh, ran the fastest 40 of the day. He was a 4,45 um, five. His film is going to be one of a guy who can make an NFL team due to what he does on special teams. He is a fa- a fantastic special teams player. We were discussing him and, and we said if there was a record at MSU for most punts downed inside the five, Chris Rafer would hold it. He's just a great special teams player. So that's obviously obviously not anything that's going to help him in with the draft status. But, you know, that's a guy who, when he gets into camp, if, if somebody can give him an invite to a camp, can can, can make an impression there. And and running a four, 4 5 is going to get somebody's attention, I would think.
4: Have we
2: gotten to the point where 40 times, uh, there's just not much that can can make you go, wow, when you talk about a 40 time? Uh, unless Only you're talking about that some somebody that's in like the four threes,
0: well, or if a 260 pounder runs a four four one, I'll ca- that catches my attention. When when Montez Sweat does what he does, but yeah, you're right. Unless somebody is at, you know, what, what did Cedric Woods run? Like a four two eight, four two nine? That catches my attention. Yes. Four three catches my attention. But if you're a a major college skill position player and you're between four four and four six, that's what I expect you to be at. You know, and I expect if you're not in that range, I don't understand. You know why you were productive. You obviously had something else going on for you. So, yeah, we're all sort of numb to the times at this point, unless they're just absurd like, say, Montez Sweats was.
2: Ripper, you'll be at Old Mrs. Pro Day on uh, on Friday. Do you have any expectation at all going into that of what you might see or, or guys that have the opportunity to potentially improve their their draft
4: stock? I guess one off the radar would be Zedrick Woods after what he did at the 40 at the Combine. But I don't know. I mean, it, it, it seems like D.K. Metcalf kind of showed all he could show. But, I mean, there will be a couple minor things, but I don't know about anything major for somebody just kind of shooting up. But you never really know going into those things.
2: Forky, anybody that you're interested in from, from either Mississippi State's Pro Day today or what Ole Miss has coming up on uh, on Friday?
3: Well, it- I know it's an easy answer. I'm really fascinated with what they're going to do with Nick Fitzgerald because people use the Taysom Hill thing and for good reason because Taysom Hill was a college quarterback, a pretty good one. He battled injuries, but he was a pretty good college quarterback that is now not playing quarterback and he's going to have a roster spot for a decade or more and he may never actually be a starting quarterback, but they're slightly different athletes. Fitzgerald's a little bit bigger and I think Taysom Hill's got more of a, a swiftness, lateral quickness to him than Fitzgerald does, and they were working him out at tight end today, uh, teaching him blocking, and Taysom Hill's more of a flex, and he does stuff on special teams. I want to know how they're going to use him because I, I even though I wasn't at Pro Day today, the, the tape tells it. He's not a future NFL starting quarterback. At, at, at some point, you are what you are, and just the accuracy is not there to be an NFL starting quarterback. But the athleticism is absolutely there. But he's different than Taysom Hill. He's just bigger. Quite frankly, he's just a bigger guy. So how are they going to use him? He's faster too, isn't he? he? Yeah, he's faster. I don't think he's as quick, but he is faster straight line than Taysom Hill is. So, So who sees what out of him is what I'm fascinated in.
0: The the issue with, with Fitzgerald too with talking about comparing him to Taysom Hill is I don't think he gives you anything on special teams the way Hill does. Because it's six foot five and two hundred and thirty pounds, I mean that's, that's not somebody who's gonna return punts and kicks. He's he's just he's just too big to do that. So that's that's one sort of, you know, check mark against him as far as filling that same sort of role. But as far as, you know, running the ball, catching the ball, and then providing the occasional trick play where you can throw the ball, I think Fitzgerald's very capable of doing that.
2: There is a uh, a new replay rule in the NFL. You have the owners' meetings going on in Phoenix this week. Borky, walk us through this one.
3: So basically what happened here, and, and there's a couple more that may come, but Sean Payton and everybody except for the Cincinnati Bengals randomly uh, voted for in favor of this and supported this. Pass interference, offensive and defensive pass interference, can now be reviewed. It's the only penalty that can be reviewed when it's not called now in football. And here's how it's going to work. It's a challenge unless there's two minutes to go in a half or two minutes to go in the game. So in the NFC Championship game, would have been reviewed anyway. But generally speaking, it's just a challenge. So if you think there's PI or you think there was a PI that was called that's not, you have to drop your challenge flag. One of your three, and if you lose it, you only have two. But if it's within the last two minutes of the game or the half, they will just go to the replay booth if it's controversial or close in any way. Are you on board with this? As long as they execute it well. My biggest thing, the NFL is perfect with game speed and flow. It is is so much better than college football with flow and game speed. The NFL game lasts three hours and 15 minutes every Sunday. They rarely overlap. They rarely go long. The flow and the speed of the game is perfect. My fear is, in the last two minutes of a game, what what's what's a play that's relatively common? A Hail Mary. A Hail Mary. How much pushing and shoving and carrying on goes on when a ball is thrown out of the back of the end zone in a Hail Mary? So what is stopping a coach from dropping a challenge flag, saying there was pass interference in that scrum, and then getting them getting another 15 yards? I don't like this. I think that everything officiating could be solved by the sky judge because that would just be egregious no calls that would be fixed, right? Well this there's a little bit muddy water here. and if every time there's- okay, go ahead. well, well I was just going to
2: say let's play that out for a second. let's say you, you throw a Hail Mary at the end of the game. the defense pushes off, bats it down. head coach has a challenge flag left although it's within two minutes, so I guess they would review it regardless. But, I mean, a coach, like for emphasis, right, could throw his challenge flag and say, I am challenging the fact that pass interference was called. If you go to a review and it's clear that you've got pass interference, you don't have the luxury of not calling it, do you? Right. you got to do it. But... So an untimed down at the goal line. Basically,
3: yeah. So you could lose a game. You do everything right. Let's say you're up by five and your opponent has the ball on their own 40 with two seconds left and they just heave it downfield and because a bunch of bodies collide in this scrum, your opponent gets the ball on, what is it, the two-yard line, two-and-a-half-yard line to win the game? I don't like that.
2: Pretty well thought out.
4: Yeah, I think it's a slippery slope, too. I agree with Borky. Because most pass interferences don't, like, resemble the egregiousness of the NFC Championship one. Sure. We'll see where it goes.
2: So the final rule change that was approved was dubbed Rule 6C. They had to go through four different iterations of the rule before they got one that everybody could... um, could agree. Sean Payton said it felt like we had to go around the block twice, and then we arrived at the right address. John Harris from the Houston Texans will join us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi Wednesday afternoon brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Right now we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. John Harris. John boy, what's up? What's going on, Rich? How are you doing, man? We're in inside a month until the NFL draft. Are you excited?
1: Yeah, I'm just making sure that I got my work done. You know, you know how that goes. You know, you got so long to kind of finish your project. I mean, when you were in college, I remember being in college and I had this engineering project I had to do, and I knew it was going to take me a while. I started on it in like September, October. I was like, yeah, you know, I'll get there, I'll get it done. And then, of course, you scramble the last couple of weeks to make sure you've got everything ready to go. But, yeah, I think everybody in this building is ready to, ready to have, it, have it in place. You know, they've got to do the pro days and finish those up and then get the on-campus visits and get those done. But Brian Gaines, the general manager of Texas, he told us going to the Combine that he had his board already set. The board was already set oh, going wow. to the Combine. And that the only movement really would be if just something absolutely unforeseen happened. So it just goes to show that in some in some cases, what a guy does at the combine is not going to matter to some teams. But you know that's kind of the Parcells way, and that's where Brian Gain kind of learned all his he learned his tricks of the trade was under under Bill Parcells. So it wasn't too surprising when we heard that. But he had it done by the combine, so they're just kind of moving things around, just making sure that. Where they have everything is where they want it. And all these interviews and pro-day things are just confirmation of that. And then they'll finally be able to make a choice in the first round, unlike they uh, had last year. I had to sit that one out, which was kind of weird last year. But I got three picks in the top 55 and four in the top 86. So we got to find two or three starters that can come in and impact the team right away, Richard
2: yeah that's that's interesting in particular what you say about having your board set before the combine because I wanted to ask you how much these pro days have an impact on teams and what they're looking at the the combine is the big event but then almost every major school has a pro day and sometimes that's for like off the radar guys but sometimes it's when you got a guy that you're looking at in the first round or maybe the first two days and and you want to see a little bit more so how many teams take the approach that the, the Texans, take where they just want to see one more thing or maybe fine tune versus they're still looking for diamonds in the rough.
1: Well I think I think you're right. I think it the, the pro day situation becomes more about getting the diamonds in the rough, if you will. And I'll give you an example. I went down I went up to a college station, I went to go see AM Pro day yesterday. And I think AM had seven or eight players to combine and not one of them did anything other than position drills. That's it. That's all they they ended up doing was position drills. So it was an opportunity for the 12th man, Cullen Gillespie, to to do his, you know, to have his day. And then you look around going, wait a second, that guy who was a 12th man walk-on and would have free beer anywhere he wanted on campus because he was the 12th man at A&M, just ran 4.56 in the 40 at 240 pounds. Like, wait a second, maybe we need to look at this guy. So I think it's for those kind of players, the diamonds in the rough, if you will. I think the the day one, day two guys, I think it's pretty much like they've done what they can. And and I got to thinking about this, because tomorrow is University of Houston's Pro Day. Ed Oliver. And Richard, I'll ask you, if if Ed Oliver came to you and said, should I do anything tomorrow, because Ed at the Combine, he did the bench press, he did uh, short shuttle, and he did the three, uh, No, he did, did the vertical jump and broad jump. He didn't do position drills, he didn't run his 40, he didn't do any of that. And if Eddie came to me and said, I'm, I'm not going to do the workout tomorrow, I'd say, yeah, you don't need to. Even though he hasn't run a 40, even though he hasn't done a position workout, why should he? Because Ed Oliver is going to be a top 15 pick no matter what. And if he's not, there's going to be some team sitting in the 20s going, you guys are gonna let Ed Oliver fall to me because you're mad at him because he didn't do a pro day. <laughs> I'll take yeah. him. Come on, you know. And then somebody's gonna screw up and let him go all the way to 32. And there's New England and Bill Belichick said, you're gonna let me have Ed Oliver." Really? Okay, we'll take it. So, from that perspective, NFL teams they're 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 proud, but they're not stupid. And so there's some guys I think that could just go through a workout. And, and just say, look, I'm not doing it. Like, Montez sweat. I don't, Montez, you know, and I know his agent, his agent's a good friend of mine. And then he, the agent told me, Rodney told me, you know, Tez wants to do everything. And Rodney's like, look, you've done what you needed to do. You know, he's having to kind of pull Tez back. But Ed's always hmm. been kind of a different guy. And I guarantee you, there's some guys sitting up in that top 12 to 15, taking out a greedy Williams. Greeny Williams ran, he did what he needed to do. He ran a or whatever it was, the combine. He doesn't have to do anymore. Really? What does he have to prove? That he should backpedal? I mean, the guy ran 4 7 You know, if you don't like it, and if you don't like him, you're not going to draft him regardless of what he does in a pro day or not. So I think the pro days are more for the guys that are kind of off the beaten path, guys maybe you hadn't thought of, guys maybe not thinking of, guys they didn't get a combine invite. Um, those are the kind of guys I think Pro Day is perfect for, and that's where I think the Pro Days make the most sense. I don't think it makes sense for these first and second, even third rounders, to be honest. It's only an opportunity for them to get injured, like Sidney Jones did at University of Washington. He would have got a top 15 pick two years ago, but he tore up his Achilles and he ended up falling to the second round. That cost him huge money. Why was he even working out at a Pro Day? He just worked out the combine. So I think the Pro Day is for those guys that – have some athletic ability that might have a shot, and they get one final chance to show it to the NFL scout.
0: John, Brian, Haydad here, and you mentioned injuries. Talk about Jeff Simmons a little bit. Where was he on the draft board for you before his injury? Where is he now, and where do you think he's going to
1: end up? Uh, Jeffrey Simmons? Yes. Uh, On my Harris 100, he was number four overall. And I didn't move him. And I know, look, I know we talked about this before. I know he's got the video he's off the field. Uh, but you guys and everybody I've talked to have said, look, when you got to Mississippi State, you did everything the way you're supposed to do it. He's a true professional. There were no issues. Uh, I think that, uh, you got and of course the ACL. But I put him at number four because to me, of all the great defensive linemen, he was the one guy that I saw next to Quentin Williams that disrupted everything an offense did. Power, gap, uh, zone, in the run game, bootleg, straight drop, whatever. He, he impacted it all. To me, he was, next to Quentin Williams, the best defensive lineman in his draft, as I looked at it. Now we knew there were going to be issues with how teams looked at it and all that kind of stuff, and maybe the injury is sort of glossing over that. I'll go back to what I just said about Ed Oliver a little while ago. I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots at number 32 said we'll take him, because if you draft the guy in the first round, then you get that fifth, you get the option for the fifth year per the CBA. So the Patriots. Could ultimately redshirt him essentially the first year, and they still would have three years with him before they'd have to decide on a fifth year, and that's just a total Patriots thing to do. And when I think about Jeffrey Simmons with the Patriots, it makes me sick. It really does because <laughs> Malcolm Brown is gone. Like we're getting rid of these guys now. Finally, the Patriots Prix grand- retired, and then all of a sudden Jeffrey Simmons is going to get drafted. I. Here's the other one I wouldn't be surprised. The Indianapolis Colts. Hmm. Unused guys with traits. And Jeffrey Simmons has every single trait you'd want in a defensive lineman. And I know he wants to continue to bolster the defensive line. And I also know that Chris Ballard is not scared of public perception. Because if anything were to come up about what happened to Jeffrey in his past, Look, Chris Ballard was instrumental in the Chiefs drafting Tyrese Hill. He was instrumental in them drafting Demarcus Robinson. Chris Ballard was also very instrumental in helping the Chiefs draft Chris Jones. I think that's a guy you all know very well in that state. So the Indianapolis Colts would also make some sense. They need more immediate help on the defensive line, but I think Ballard could look at it and say, look, we're going to take – the biggest value where we are at number 26 and take Jeffrey Simmons, let him sit for a year, and then all of a sudden in 2020, Simmons is ready to wreck shop, and all of us in the AFC South are sitting there going, oh, man, why did this happen? So I I think that could happen. Now, it depends on where he is and how bad it really is, but I think that's where he could go.
2: John, 30 seconds. Where's Jordan Tomu going to end up?
1: Oh. That's a great question. I do think he gets drafted. You know what would be a good spot for him? L.A., the Chargers. Behind Philip Rivers, having the opportunity to learn from Philip. I think that would be a good day three selection for the Chargers if they don't draft one earlier, and I don't think they will earlier. I think the Chargers would make a lot of sense for a guy like Jordan Talamu. I think it would be a really good fit for him.
2: That's interesting. I talked to him the other day. You know, he worked out at the combine, said he had meetings with a bunch of teams and kind of an interesting process. So, uh, you know, I asked him if he was getting any idea, and he said, no. He said, you know, he felt like fifth, sixth, seventh round were, you know, possibilities. So I guess we'll wait and see. Thanks, John. Always appreciate your time. You got it, boys. Take care. Thank you, me. Horse Talk Mississippi, Wednesday afternoon, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour with you. It's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and you. And today for the 5 o'clock hour, we'll push the college football fix back just a bit and bring in Trey Shap from 103.7. The Buzz in Little Rockman covering Arkansas for... A long time. You're getting old. You've been doing this for a long time, right?
6: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm old. I think I'm older than you. Which
2: is another way of saying, hey, man, thanks for joining us. Hope your day's going well.
6: <laughs> yes, exactly. Glad to be here.
2: Um, was the news yesterday out of nowhere? I know there had been rumblings. I was in Fayetteville, well, I guess, the last game of the regular season. Uh, last cup, maybe the last two Saturdays of the regular season. And there were some rumblings, and they were you know people were like, ah, "I think there's probably one more year what what led to ultimately the decision to be made for Mike Anderson to be out?
6: I think what uh, eventually led to the final decision was uh, the meeting that took place between uh, Mike Anderson and Hunter Urichsek, the athletic director on Monday. Um, apparently okay. Hunter did not get answers that he needed uh, from Mike. And uh, what I've been told is slept on it Monday night, and then Tuesday, uh, woke up, and they had another conversation, and it was pretty much uh, determined that that Mike would not be back as the head coach this
2: This is something that I would think had to be difficult. I mean, you you can rip away the emotion from it and just say, This is a place where more is expected than the results that have been delivered. But when it's a guy who's been tied to Arkansas basketball for 25 years and was on Nolan Richardson's staff and has been to the NCAA tournament for three out of the last four years, how difficult do you think the decision was to ultimately move
6: on? I think it was a a difficult decision. Um, He's never had a losing record as a collegiate head coach. Ever? Uh, Ever. But at arkansas fans expect you to get to the ncaa tournament and expect you to win games in the ncaa tournament and mike anderson got to the ncaa tournament three times in his time at arkansas and never reached the sweet 16 in fact the two previous coaches prior to mike anderson also did not reach the sweet 16 1996 is the last time that arkansas basketball was in the sweet 16 and that's just something that the fan base has, has been upset with over here. And I think everybody was on board when he was hired eight years ago to take over at Arkansas for John Pelfrey, um, believing that, okay, he can get it done. He took UAB. He took Missouri. Uh, but for, for whatever reason, it just did not work out at Arkansas.
2: Trey, it's interesting to me because, you know, because there are four and probably will be five open jobs, I guess four again now with Alabama hiring Nate Oates earlier today, people have, you know, ranked the jobs. which, which what's the best job? And there are people that say A and M's the best job, and some say Arkansas is, and there have been folks that say no, it's Alabama or Vanderbilt. Right? So so opinions are all over the place. But there are a lot of people that have said, Look, Arkansas is not what it once was. Which is fair. But at the same time, can't Arkansas people look and go, hold on, there there are four SEC teams that are in the Sweet 16 and only one of them is named Kentucky? Why can't we be part of that group? Is that the way people are looking at it?
6: Well, there's no question, Richard, that's the way they're looking at it. They feel like they should be there year in and year out. Look, when Arkansas came into the league, uh, it was Kentucky basketball. Arkansas beat Kentucky in the regular season the first year. They didn't win the conference tournament that year, but they beat Kentucky in the regular season that first year. And that sent, that sent shockwaves through the league. And then when Arkansas just walked into the uh, Birmingham Convention Center where the SEC basketball tournament was being held back then, and this was before they played a game, they just walked in to kind of watch the game that was before their their game that was scheduled. And a loud hog call was let out. I was told then that head started to turn and people were like, oh, my goodness, what has happened? Uh, because Arkansas used to run the Southwest Conference Tournament down in Dallas every year. Reunion Arena was Barnhill South, uh, the nickname mm-hmm. for it during the Southwest Conference Tournament. And, Richard, you've been to games in Walton Arena. You know how loud that place can get. Can it get back to that? Yes, it can. But it's going to take a dynamic coach to come in and turn this thing around. And it's in a much better spot right now than what it was eight years ago when Mike Anderson took over. It was at the bottom when Mike Anderson took over. They, they They were about to lose a scholarship because of the APR. That's how bad it was. And he's been able to get it out. And everybody uh, that I've talked to, and I can vouch for this as well, Mike is a great guy. Always answers your questions. We'll spend time with you. A great guy. But for whatever reason, just did not transfer over to on-court adjustments, if you will, being able to advance past the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament when you had a guy like a Jalen Barford a Darryl Macon, and a Daniel Gafford. Um, even a Bobby Portis back in the day. And so that's where I think a lot of Razorback fans are like. Some expected it. Some didn't think it would happen. Some would get another year. But I think Hunter Juracek eventually, ultimately, uh, had to make a decision that he thought was best for the University of Arkansas, and that was to go in a different direction.
2: I, I want to get into names in just a second, but before we do that, It was announced late in the year that there was a resolution going forward that Nolan Richardson's name was going to be put on the court. They they wanted to honor him. Does this decision complicate that process?
6: I don't think so. Uh, The Board of Trustees meeting uh, was today, and it continues tomorrow. Hunter Urechek spoke at the Board of Trustees uh, Athletic Committee meeting today. Um, and it wasn't. It was already planned. He was already scheduled to be there. So this firing yesterday had no bearing on whether or not he was going to speak. But he gives a report on how the, the state of athletics, if you will, is at the University of Arkansas. Every every school sends their athletic director that does that. That's under the under the University of Arkansas system. So that resolution, along with one that involves Eddie Sutton, uh, former Arkansas coach. Is on the table, mm-hmm. and it's my understanding that that will be uh, voted on tomorrow. And I also understand that it's basically a just a a uh, it's going to happen, basically. It's just a, a well, and protocol but, but Trey, I guess well.
2: I'm asking about it from Nolan Richardson's perspective because Mike Anderson was his guy,
6: right? Well, I think uh, Nolan, Nolan. I heard somewhere earlier today where no one did uh, comment on the firing of Mike Anderson. I can't remember exactly what all he said, but um, uh, Mike, Mike Anderson's going to be okay. Um, Mike sure. Anderson's going to find a job very soon, and he's going to be okay. Did he think that Arkansas would be his last stop? Yes, he probably did, but I still think he's going to be okay, but I think I think they do go forward with the naming of the court after Nolan Richardson. I mean, when you when you do look at it, yeah, he was his guy, but also Nolan Richardson was the head coach of the Razorbacks that won the national championship. It wasn't Mike Anderson. Now, he was an integral part that's of true. that, but it was not Mike Anderson.
2: All right, so names. Kelvin Sampson is the one that's out there that everybody's jumped all over. you got the tie to Hunter Juracek, having hired him at Houston. That's certainly a name that I've heard people whispering about a month ago. I asked you yesterday if that was a slam dunk, and you said, no, not a slam dunk.
6: Well, Hunter, Hunter didn't hire Kelvin at Houston. Um, he was already there. It's my understanding. Okay, I could be wrong on that. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not so sure that it is a slam dunk. And I've talked to some uh, college basketball coaches today. Uh, they don't think he would leave. Another name that's been thrown around is Chris Beard. It, his buyout is not as big as what some originally thought. It's big if he stays in the Big 12 because he was a student at Texas. And so if Texas were to get rid of Shaka Smart and they make a run at Chris Beard, well, Texas Tech had a huge, uh, had a bigger buyout if he were to leave Texas Tech for another Big 12 school. Um, but if he left for Arkansas, it would be a much lower buyout, somewhere in the range of 3 to $3.5 million is what my understanding is. And then some, some have thrown out Billy Donovan. I was told that if he does leave the NBA and comes back to college, he's probably going to Arizona when they get rid of Sean Miller. Hmm.
2: Do, do you think it's as simple as it's either Kelvin Sampson or it's Chris Beard?
6: I think if one of those two want to make a move, it's that simple. But if if uh, if their programs come after him, and say, hey, we're going to throw you some more money, and we want you to stay here. Then I think Arkansas uh, goes on to the next one. But it could be. Is the and level if, of, we might we might know this weekend, Richard? One of them loses their next game. We might know the next day what's happening.
5: Yeah.
2: First chance for uh, Hunter check to really, really. Well, that's not true. I guess he's made the football higher already, but. Got to got to figure out the basketball, deal Now as uh, as well, interesting times in Fayetteville, well, Trey. Appreciate uh, your perspective.
6: No doubt, guys. Have a good one.
2: Trey Schaap from one hundred three point seven, the Buzz in Little Rock. Mike Anderson out. Who's next? We'll just have to wait and see. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank Understanding Sports Talk Mississippi. United Streaming at supertalk.fm. Anywhere. Glad to have you along. You can text the show, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. The C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. Hey, now, what did you think about what, um, about what Trey Shap said about Arkansas fans and expecting to be... In the NCAA tournament advancing to the second weekend on a regular basis? Well,
0: that's what we talked about yesterday and and expectations. And, you know, for me, Arkansas is in that tier sort of where Mississippi State and Ole Miss are that you're going to have a team where you reload and you're going to miss the NCAA tournament maybe, you know, one out of every four or five years. I I don't think it's an unfair expectation to be uh in the ncaa tournament i don't think it's an unfair expectation to win a couple of games there but i think that arkansas fans than their expectations and obviously trey's got a lot more on the ground experience there but it just seems to me that their expectations might be a little higher than that they expect to be a you know team that's not only you know in the tournament but as a high seed maybe competing for the sec championship and and making the sweet 16 on a more regular basis and i don't know if that expectation is fair
4: they're like Memphis. Their perception of what they yeah. are is not actually what they are.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good example. But is it wrong for them to expect it?
4: They haven't made a Sweet Sixteen since 1996. Why would you expect that at this point?
2: Right, because it's been a long time now. It's been 25 years, but they won a national championship and then played in the title game in consecutive years. I mean, I know you weren't born, but that I mean, I remember that vividly.
3: But does it matter that you remember it? I mean, I guess, at what point do you consider history of success to be obsolete? Because if you're talking, I mean, mid-90s, these kids weren't alive that they're recruiting. So you can't say, well, you remember our NCAA tournament run? Their parents probably hardly remember.
2: Well... See, see, that's where I would disagree, and and I think that is why it's so hard to let go. It's real easy for me to go. It's twenty five years ago; these kids were never weren't even born at that time. But so I'm thirty eight. So basically, people all over college that, that follow college basketball between the ages of about thirty three and until death, who still have their faculties remember Nolan Richardson 40 minutes of hell Scotty Thurman Corliss Williamson Alex Dillard that whole deal because it was that big of a deal in college basketball anybody 30 or younger they only know about it because their parents told them about it or they've seen videos of it maybe with a few exceptions of you know lifelong die-hard razorback fans but I mean I if you're talking about 30 years ago, those people would have been five years old.
3: Yeah, so, there's so my question. a significant when is it irrelevant.
2: Yeah, I mean, when a significant portion of your fan base vividly remembers it, I don't think it's irrelevant for the fans. It may be irrelevant for the current coach or for the players they're recruiting, but that to me is the reason that the fan expectations are still there.
0: I mean, in 1994. Do you know who won the, the football national title that year? nebraska how irrelevant are they and their expectations now i mean when's the last time nebraska hasn't been good since 1990 has won a national title since 1997 and hasn't been a real player in college football beyond being you know a consistent 9-10 win team for a few years but in the national title race no not anymore there are some teams that can stand the test of time and in football it's alabama it's 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 Ohio State, you know, in, in basketball it's Duke and Kentucky and North Carolina. Arkansas is not one of them for basketball. They're just not.
2: They're yeah, not but even even last. those teams you mentioned had their day in the wilderness.
0: Yeah, but they have a day in the wilderness. They maybe one down year. I mean, Luke Fickle takes over for Jim Trestle in that interim role, and they go six and six. And next year, Urban Myers there, and they're twelve and zero. You know, Arkansas hasn't been. Yeah, to the, but you're. Co- you, yeah, but hold on a second.
2: Now you're you're completely dismissing the entire John Cooper era, and you're dismissing Alabama football from 1993 until 2006. John I mean, I, Cooper I, I, I once I might be, punted. But what I'm
0: saying is, those programs. I mean, in 1999, Alabama won the SEC, and, and you know, uh, I'm pretty sure that Ohio State had a couple years where I think they either won the Big Ten or were close to it. Arkansas hasn't been to the Sweet 16 since 1996. And that that's that's the height of irrelevancy.
2: yeah I, I mean I, I understand the argument that you're making and I don't disagree with it, but I also am not willing to say if I'm an Arkansas fan, uh, you know what that was 25 years ago it's different because in basketball it's not that different. You're three dudes away from being a, a team that can win at all.
3: Yeah. And if you find the right coach with the right shoe company connections, you can get those three dudes tomorrow, but maybe that's a little bit hamstrung this year.
0: Yeah. I mean they missed out on Marcus Monk, who, you know, would have been a big time player for them, might have been a guy who could have gotten them to the second weekend. I mean, you're right. It's only going to take the right.
2: Wasn't Marcus Monk the wide receiver that played at Arkansas and then there was another monk that went to Kentucky to play basketball?
0: Malik Monk, but they're related, right? Aren't they brothers?
2: Brothers or cousins? I don't remember yeah, the exact, I mean, but I
0: know that Arkansas finished second in the running for him behind Kentucky, Malik Monk. And you know, but that's the thing. In twenty-two years, they haven't been able to get one of those guys that could get him to that next weekend. So I mean, at some point, it stops becoming an outlier and it becomes the way things are.
2: Uh, the expectations are so high due to the Razorbacks being the only major sports around. No pro teams either. That definitely contributes to it. We We talked about that yesterday. And, yeah, well, and and there's been, the the investment in that program is significant. Now, Bud Walton's old now. I mean, that that building's 25 years old. It's still big, and it's still nice, and they've got a brand new practice facility, and, you know, they kind of got all the things that they need to. Um... What about this? Here's a, uh, a text from a 662 number uh, that says, I think Arkansas fan ex- uh, expectations are right on. I'm a state fan, and I have those same expectations, and we only made one Final Four. And it points to Rick Stansbury being legit. Um, but I mean, same same principle. That was a long time ago.
3: Yeah, and everybody's one really good hire away from winning a title. Everybody. If you're, if you're a Power 5 team and you make the right hire, you can compete for a championship soon. But I, I guess... In basketball. In basketball. And in football, you're not far off either, for the most part. Uh, like, in the SEC, there's, what, 11 schools that if they make the right hire, and some of them it's going to be really hard to do, but would immediately start competing for championships. So, yeah, Arkansas hasn't been good for a long time, but if they hire the right guy, they can compete for a title in two years. Absolutely. Is Kelvin Sampson the right guy? We know know he knows how to get players. I mean, he's competing for a title right now. At a place with presumably fewer resources. They've invested heavily in
2: basketball, and he's a heck of a ball coach. He's just a heck of a coach. I've heard that Kelvin Sampson is interested in that job, but... Let's be honest, if Kelvin Sampson wants to go somewhere besides Houston, he's not limited to the Arkansas job. But if he's happy in Houston, and I I can only take somebody at their word, but the other piece of this is, you know, coaches are going to tell you what they're supposed to tell you. I had a conversation with Kelvin Sampson. I asked him, you know, why Houston? Why are you doing this? Why have you taken on this project when the facilities were that they were? And he said he wanted, at this point in his career, a building project. He wanted to build a program from the bottom up, and he's been able to do that at Houston. Now, if Arkansas comes and offers him four, four and a half million dollars, yeah, it, it, different kind of building job, I guess, maybe looks at it differently. I don't know. Text message says that uh, Arkansas can definitely get back to elite status. We'll see. I think Borky's point's a good one. It it depends on the hire you make. Tennessee made the right hire, right? Rick Barnes, they're really good. But what was the reaction to the Rick Barnes hire? Oh, that's a solid hire. But Rick Barnes had just gotten fired at Texas for never really getting over the hump. Yeah. With some incredible players at Texas. There really hasn't been a big swing and a miss hire with regard to basketball coaches in the last couple of last what three or four years, has there? Say Avery
0: Johnson is one.
2: He wasn't a disaster though. They got to the tournament once in the postseason, three times. Um, Never had bad teams, just never had great ones either. Johnny Jones was a disaster. He was. Super nice guy. Sports Talk Mississippi.